Hi, I'm Bob Ekblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple, Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. In this podcast, I want to share with you some of my reflections on the kingdom of God. When we think of ourselves as being a disciple of Jesus, it's really important to understand the larger setting of the kingdom of God in the Old and New Testament and sort of where the Jesus movement fits and where we fit in that Jesus movement. We live in perilous times with wealth inequities increasing, global warming and COVID and now the war in Ukraine unleashing even more suffering. And um, we've, we've never been closer to just being able to envision the possible end of the human race, you know, with the possibility of nuclear war with Russia that's been sort of out there. And, but now with just the mass extinction of species and the threats of just our, our planets, uh, you know, the, the temperature rises that, that could really, that are going to, that already are wreaking havoc on the world. So all this makes our mission uh, today even more essential. And my hope is that the following reflections on the kingdom of God can help all of us stay in the trenches and with even more sustainable hope and focus. This month for us, for Gracie and I, marks 40 years of ministry with Tierra Nueva. You know, back in 1982, Central America was in turmoil with wars just engulfing the region. And Gracie and I first went to work in a refugee camp that received refugees from the war in El Salvador, but then ended up starting our sustainable farm in rural Honduras, where we taught intensive hillside farming practices, preventative health, nutrition, first aid. And, um, you know, we were all about like really helping people who were uh, subsistence farmers succeed so that they could avoid uh, migrating to the cities. And at that point, very few were migrating to North America. So we were working with people in extreme poverty. And then after six years in Honduras, we moved to France to study theology and felt um, there that, you know, one of the things we, that the people needed was, you know, greater access to thoughtful, careful study of the Bible. And we wanted to bridge that divide between the academy and the poor. So we tried to get the best education we could. And every year we'd go back um, during summer breaks and you know, we'd spend a month in Honduras sharing everything we, we could to the people and then return to France to, to kind of get more training ourselves. And we've sort of been on that journey ever since. And uh, that's where the People's Seminary, you know, our objective is to really bring the best to those that have little access. And of course, it's not like they don't have access to the best because they, they, as disciples of Jesus, can go directly to God. But we also believe that, um, you know, that learning is so valuable. So anyway, um, after while in France, we felt a call back to the United States and we moved up to Skagit County to begin our work with immigrant workers from Mexico, jail and prison inmates and those struggling with addictions. And um, currently, as some of you already know, we're leading Tia Nueva's faith community an hour north of Seattle and also doing a lot with the People's Seminary, which offers training in integral mission and scriptural engagement to ministry workers around the world. So um, I want to share a little bit more of our story specifically around the kingdom of God and the idea of a new heaven and a new earth. But first, let's look at a few uh, of the little bit of the background from the Old Testament. There are so many beautiful scriptures that talk about God's all-encompassing eternal kingdom. And I'd like to start with Daniel 7, 14. 
And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and people of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So here, the him uh, who's, who will be given the dominion, the glory, and a kingdom is um, one like a son of man, who is identified in verse 13 of Daniel 7 as coming um, to the Ancient of Days. Like, um, so you have this picture of, of, of a human one coming to, to God, you know, maybe God the Father. And this is the Old Testament background for Jesus' title of Son of Man, especially in John's Gospel. And Daniel's vision are, clearly articulates that the kingdom of God um, is to be received by, you know, this messianic figure. And, um, and then, you know, and then we're going to look at the next scripture, which is Daniel chapter 7, 18, which shows that the saints of the, this highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. So it's critical to realize that the kingdom of God is not something we construct, that we make happen, that we, through our organizing or through military uh, conquest or colonialism, um, you know, kind of put into place. It's something that we receive. And, um, and so just like Jesus says, um, don't be a fear, not little flock. It's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So Daniel seven twenty seven. then the sovereignty, the dominion and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him. So the question of the then, uh, when the sovereignty and the dominion are, are are given to the people, is the big question. You know, when would would this happen? When will this happen? Interesting, though, though um, in these in these times when people are talking of the seven mountains and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of politicization of the church, um, we're we're not to take any of these um, places of power according to this notion in in Daniel and throughout the Bible but it's something that's given. So um, let's look now at one of the famous texts that's earlier in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where Nathan the prophet prophesies um, that, um, that, that this one will be a descendant of David. So he speaks for God who says, quote, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. That's super interesting that this, uh, you know, this prophecy that this future Messiah would be, who's going who's gonna to be the one that receives this eternal kingdom, will be a son of David, descendant of David, but also that he's described as being a son of God. And that uh, coming together of, of the humanity of this, of, of this future uh, Christ and God himself, is something that was um, considered blasphemous by a lot of the people in the first century, and continues to be blasphemous to, you know, to uh, to Jews and Muslims today. So let's look at uh, these. Uh, there's so many other scriptures that talk about this, by the way, like Psalm two, Psalm 110, Ezekiel 37, 24 to 28, and so um, these texts led God's people to expect a Messiah or an anointed king, descendant of David, who would come to usher in the eternal kingdom. And that messianic expectation was alive and well when Jesus was born. 
And the New Testament presents Jesus as both the Son of God and this awaited Messiah. So we see that like in the beginning of Mark where it says, quote, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Christ being the title, Christ being the Greek equivalent of Mashiach in Hebrew, Messiah. Um, so the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So there you have that affirmation that is rooted in 2 Samuel 7. But before we turn to the New Testament, I want us to look a little bit more closely at some of the key texts describing the present, this worldly reality of the kingdom of God. And the first one that comes to mind is the one that Tierra Nueva is named after, which is from Isaiah 65. Quote, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. They will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. They will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they are the offspring of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. So we were struck by how this vision looked possible in this world. And the vision um, here talks about infant mortality decreasing. And, you know, the infant mortality rates were super high during the times we were in Honduras. Like there were so many kids dying of dysentery. Most everyone we knew down there had lost numerous kids to amoebic dysentery and, and malnutrition. And then people living into a ripe old age and farmers enjoying their produce. I mean, that's what we were trying to promote. So we sought to implement that vision through helping people increase their production of their crops by teaching soil and water conservation practices like planting to the contour and minimum tillage and composting, green manure crops and mulching. And we were making compost piles everywhere and doing these trainings to help people make use of all of their, um, you know, their banana stalks and leaves and grass and just everything, manure. We introduced intensive vegetable gardening, fish farms, nutritious recipes. We taught people about the importance of boiling or filtering their drinking water, implementing gravity flow water systems and composting latrines. And all that was and still is so important for people um, in the global south and in impoverished places around the world. And uh, the results that we had were just stunning. Um, you know, we learned how to farm this way from Fernando who at that point was a 53-year-old peasant who was a master organic intensive farmer. And we were able to get like 10 times better yields on our little model farm than people anyone had ever seen. And that caused so many people to join our, our program. And we trained peasant trainers and, and women promoters, health workers. And that caused Tierra Nueva to spread throughout the mountainous region around our model farm into lots and lots of villages. And I mean, there, there were several thousand families working with us at one point. And we read many scriptures that emphasize the kingdom of God in the here and now, such as Ezekiel 34, 28 to 30. I mean, check this one out. I will make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate harmful beasts from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. Now, one of the things harmful beasts can be um, a metaphor for 
you know, for demonic powers in, in the, in the Hebrew Bible. And so, um, anyway, that's something to keep in mind. So, uh, Ezekiel continues verse 26, I will make them and the places around my hill a blessing and I will cause showers to come down in their season. They will be showers of blessing. Also the tree of the field will yield its fruit and the earth will yield its increase and they will be secure on their land. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I've broken the bars of their yoke and have delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them. They will no longer be a prey to the nations and the beasts of the earth will not devour them and they will live securely and no one will make them afraid. I mean, that is so powerful. Isn't that amazing, that vision? And it continues, um, you know, I will establish for them a renowned um, planting place and they will not again be victims of famine in the land and they will not endure the insults of the nations anymore. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord. So once again, um, we can see here that this world dimension, this world, you know, um, here and now of, the, of God's kingdom is, um, is, is emphasized by this scripture as like Isaiah 65. And so many um, in the global south and, you know, in the, the poor majority world desperately need and long for, for such realities, don't, don't they? And um, we have always loved that in Jesus, when Jesus, as he comes as Christ, he cites in his very first sermon, Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year, year of the Lord, Luke 4, 18 to 19. And, and, and we love how Jesus teaches us to pray when he says, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, you know, we see Jesus emphasizing um, like concrete changes that he promoted through his ministry of healing and deliverance and multiplication of loaves and all that he did, um, bringing people who were excluded into the, you know, into his community. You know, th these were this worldly realities that he was about. And we mustn't forget that. The New Testament um, presents Jesus starting his mission in Galilee at the margins of Israel. So that continues to be so important and a really high priority for, you know, for us. There he preached, repent or, th or think differently for the kingdom of God is drawing near. And this preaching was so inclusive and, and accompanied by concrete acts of relief for those that suffered. Like here's an example of the inclusivity. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee. I love that word, all. Teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and then healing every kind of disease. There's the inclusivity again. He healed every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. That's Matthew 4.23. Now back in the 1980s, Gracie and I didn't engage in Jesus's ministry of healing people and casting out demons. You know, we were reluctant to do that in part because we didn't like the idea of, of us having any authority or any power coming, being manifested through us. We, um, you know, we already felt like so much shame for being Americans at a time when the U.S. was supporting, you know, military dictatorships and disarming 
uh, these really corrupt governments. And, you know, we, we felt we, like we wanted to distance ourselves from our privilege and the power that we represented by our, you know, just our gringo status. You know, people called us Los Gringuitos, the, the dear gringos, but gringo comes from green go, you know, and also we just were maybe doubtful of that God would do acts of healing through us. Um, so anyway, for lots of reasons, we we didn't um, engage in that ministry at that point. I sure wish we'd had, but we noticed that Jesus cares about people's lives, body, soul, and spirit. And this helped us serve people in ways that brought actual relief and continue to bring actual relief in the here and now. So the, the fact that Jesus cared about people's health, I mean, that's a big deal. Um, and it doesn't have to be, um, doesn't have to result in just miraculous healings. It can involve in just in, you know, promoting nutritional lifestyles and, you know, gardening and things like that. So some Pentecostal groups back then called us the Antichrist and La Bestia, the Beast. You know, uh, Roberto es la Bestia, they'd say, you know, Bob or Roberto is the Beast. Because they thought Tiranueva was getting people too focused on this life and not on the imminent return of Jesus. And these people um, impressed us in a lot of ways because they prayed for physical healing and claimed to be experiencing it. And I think they did see physical healing, though I think we tended to dismiss them, or I know we did, because they believed that using medicine was sinful. Um, I think they came to that in part because none of them could afford medicines and there was like one doctor for every 30,000 people. And, um, you know, and so medicine wasn't really available to them. So they just kind of went full on with Jesus. But they thought that using medic medications of any kind showed a lack of faith in only Jesus. And, uh, and so we would see people from their churches often die of very treatable conditions. And that was so, so sad for everybody. So two and a half years into our six years in Honduras, we were asked by villagers to begin our farming and nutrition classes with Bible studies, which was a real surprise because we hadn't been overtly Christian in what we were doing. We, we were wanting to come and just really humbly serve people at their point of felt need, as they described it. But then they described their need for a Bible study, and they felt like they wanted to grow in their, um, in their faith. As Catholics, they said, and, you know, as people that knew nothing about the Bible. And so that became a growing feature in our ministry, dialogical participatory reading of the Bible. And most of those we read with were excluded from the churches for lots of different reasons. And, and we, we witnessed them just like drinking in our grace, increasingly grace-focused Bible studies. And we drank with them. I mean, it was a powerful experience witnessing them see that Jesus was for them and God loved them and them becoming convinced. Now, um, the Pentecostals balked at our emphasis on God's mercy and love. And because they were more about like focusing on righteous behaviors that would get people saved for the next life. So there was always a bit of a doubt, like, are we just giving them too good a news? But anyway, um, in rabbinic literature, it's interesting because, uh, you know, a lot of that came out of the Jewish people being exiled. Uh, for them, the kingdom of God is called the age to come or the coming age in contrast to the present age. So in a way, you see that mentality um, that is active in some of the Pentecostal circles now, back then. However, we too could see that the kingdom couldn't re 
really be realized fully according to Isaiah 65 vision, which included things like verse 25, where it says the wolf and the lamb will graze together and the lion will eat straw like an ox, like the ox, and the dust will be the serpent's food and they will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain, says the Lord, or Isaiah 9, 6 to 8, that adds the leopard will lie down with the young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little boy will lead them and a nursing child will play over the hole of the cobra. So, you know, those kind of things seem like they're talking about another realm, another reality, don't they? And then we saw that in the midst of people's farm production increases and the installation of so many gravity flow water systems that we were active in, in helping people establish in farming cooperatives, grain storage cooperatives being organized, we also saw more and more brutal killings take place due to conflicts between individuals and families, you know, family feuds, domestic violence, alcoholism, you know, were rampant. The region's military dictators were executing villagers en masse in places like Guatemala and El Salvador. Death squads were disappearing, human rights activists. You know, the people that were really out there promoting the kingdom of God, I mean, priests, pastors, lay leaders, anyone speaking out against structural injustices, calling for land reform, were being targeted and uh, executed. You know, their bodies would be found, you know, with torture, signs of torture, or maybe never found. And uh, we too were accused of being communists at that time and experienced two attempts of people who tried to burn our farm down in the middle of the night. And eventually we felt like it was time for us to leave. And that's when we moved to France. So then in the years that followed, we watched our gains evaporate as the U.S. Uh, well, first of all, the U.S. Uh, Agency for International Development came in and they offered to pay all the people to leave our ministry. And they, uh, they paid them in chemical fertilizer, which we were, we were promoting organic farming. And that was really seductive for people. And anyway, we ended up losing, you know, probably several thousand farmers to USAID's project. But then after that, um, and then those people were just doing it, you know, for the payoff that they got. And, uh, and then after that, the U.S. established uh, the free trade agreement with Central America called NAFTA, which allowed North American farmers to sell heavily subsidized corn to Hondurans at, a, at prices that were lower than any of them could produce it for. And that was true for Mexicans, you know, for all of Central America. And that pretty much destroyed the only hope that many had for a cash crop because the only cash crop that they really could produce or were ready to produce was corn, beans, and rice. And that really led to a massive exodus from the countryside to the cities, followed by um, widespread migration to the United States. And um, interestingly, during our yearly visits, we would see from talking with our friends that there were other factors that led to the migration to the U.S. or Canada, you know, many people who've suffered lack desire a higher standard of living than can be achieved through subsistence farming. And that was, you know, that was in a way a surprise to us, but why would we be surprised? Um, you know, despite the real possibility of achieving a subsistence existence, people coming out of generational poverty, um, you know, they often carry a deep insecurity that can manifest in sometimes a near insatiable need for more money and a willingness to risk their lives to migrate in order to earn more money. 
But then also just uh, people, we all want a higher standard of living. And when we see that it's available, if we had a better job and we can get a, a higher paying job in another place, that's enough incentive for people to, to leave. And um, so many people who migrated to the USA or to Spain, they'd send money back to build up their homes into luxury dwellings. They'd purchase four by four trucks, buy coffee farms. And sometimes that money, um, you know, the wealthiest people were, were, were earning that through drug dealing. And, um, and others were, you know, were, were, were not making nearly as much money. And, and so that kind of incentivized people going up and getting involved in the drug traffic. And we had whole villages that went up and, you know, all the young people were dealing drugs in, say, downtown Vancouver and Portland and different places like that at one point. So Honduras, meanwhile, became a failed state, a landing strip for drug traffickers with rampant corruption and uncontrolled violence, recently, recently holding the title of the most violent per capita country in the world. So the kingdom of God seems so very distant, and it does now, doesn't it? You know, competing with drug cartels, corrupt officials, U.S. multinationals, the allure of North America. And um, here, you know, um, what what is the kingdom of God competing with in our own day and age, you know, from, with just the, the possibility of, of just all the material possessions that are available to us and financial security through the stock market or through, you know, purchasing land or whatever we do, you know, and just uh, a life of leisure and of travel and, and whatever it is that, that, you know, that excites us, you know, backcountry skiing or... <laughs> Anyway, in the face of these powers, we seek to invite people into the true security of active child of God status through faith in Jesus. And that's an aspect of discipleship that I've talked about in this podcast a lot in the past, you know, um, and really seeing ourselves as a child of God uh, and having a father who is the creator of the universe, the master of the universe. And, you know, that in order for us to learn to come to trust God, as a father we can trust, that requires that we address and find healing from uh, for our childhood father wounds. So we can learn to trust the father of Jesus, you know, for security, provision, meaning, direction, everything. And um, so anyway, we continue in Honduras um, to, with our ministry. We, our pastor down there, David, leads Bible studies, runs a coffee farm that employs vulnerable people producing specialty coffee, which I highly recommend that you order through the tierranueva.org website. And um, meanwhile, here in the United States, we gather people affected by immigration, incarceration, and addiction for Bible studies. And we seek to help people find faith, baptizing them, raising up disciples of Jesus, hoping that all of us will grow in our compassion to reach the homeless, the gang involved, the drug addicted, the incarcerated, Here's a few reflections on the kingdom of God, uh, further reflections from the New Testament on the kingdom of God as present and future reality. Now, Jesus himself proclaimed the kingdom of God everywhere. You know, he came as the king of that kingdom, but he proclaimed it and he pointed the way forward for us in the way that he proclaimed it and enacted it. Um, Luke 8, 1, he was going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming the kingdom of God, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God, and the 12 were with him. 
So proclaiming and preaching, you know, telling about and, um, you know, and promoting and announcing the kingdom of God. And it's interesting, the, the word, you know, I've been talking lately about the power of, of scripture and the power of, of the word. You know, proclamation is one of the main ways that he promoted it. And and he did it everywhere. And this is something that has inspired a lot of us at Tierra Nueva to just go from place to place, to go out on the streets, to start Bible studies in, in far-flung places, you know, jails, prisons, and people's homes, and, you know, um, out in on some of the native reservations. Um, interestingly, Jesus's word of the kingdom in, say, Mark, Matthew 13, 19, in the parable of the sower, needs to be heard and understood in order f- to keep the evil one from snatching that seed that's sown um, away. And so, you know, reading the Bible is, it needs to be done in a careful, thoughtful way that allows people to engage and, and really understand it. And, and yet understanding the mysteries of the kingdom requires that we become disciples. Like Jesus says, to you it has been granted to understand the mysteries. And that, that's the disciples who come to him asking questions. And we have access to the teacher directly and the Holy Spirit um, to reveal otherwise hidden truths to us, don't we? You know, that's what we, we have um, affirmed in places like Matthew 13, 11, Mark 4, 11. Luke 8.10, Jesus describes the kingdom of God as like a buried treasure or a pearl of great price, which when someone finds it, they're willing to sell everything. So, you know, we want to help people find it because if they find it, they're going to want to sell everything. We're going to want to sell everything to get it because it's so precious. It's, it's so valuable. And if we don't know that, then we just haven't discovered it yet. And um, Jesus also describes the kingdom as like a mustard seed, the smallest seed, which often it feels so vulnerable, so weak, so small, but which a person takes and sows and it becomes a tree, which the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And he also compares it to leaven, which a woman hides in her flower and then just has its effect, right? It leavens everything. And doesn't that sound irresistible? You know, I really find it irresistible. And so these are images that help us, and I'm hoping you're, you're feeling inspired. Jesus emphasizes also the urgency of proclaiming the kingdom of God over all cultural pressures. Like uh, he says, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But for you, as for you, go and proclaim everywhere. Go and proclaim everywhere. Do we do that? Do you do that? Do you go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God? Luke 9, 60. That's something that I feel like is really something that inspires me. And um, Jesus tells his disciples not to worry about what we eat, drink, or put on. because uh, And that could, that worry about our financial security could keep us from proclaiming the kingdom of God everywhere. Because we're thinking, well, I got to work, I got to make more money, be more secure, prepare for my retirement, whatever. But Jesus says that we're not to worry. Why? Because Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Well, do we believe that? That the Heavenly Father knows that? And, and do we believe that um, if we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, that all these things will be added to us? Uh, Matthew six thirty three. You know, I believe that the only way we can know that is to do it. You can't really know whether that's a reality unless we tr- test it out. And that's something we try to encourage all of our people at Tierra Nueva to, to do 
and people have plenty of opportunity to, to, to test it out because everyone needs, you know, more income and, and needs money for paying off, you know, um, court fines, you know, child support, um, you know, just rent, utilities, and life is increasingly expensive. And, and so, you know, we're praying specifically for breakthrough for people to, who don't have cars, who don't have housing, you know, the homeless. And people have testimonies week after week of, of breakthroughs. Jesus also commissioned his disciples saying, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of God is at hand or drawing near, approaching. And then he adds in Matthew 10, 7, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you've received, freely give. So it's at hand because um, these disciples are there healing the sick and raising the dead and, and doing all these actions. Um, are we? You know, this is something that for us until about 18 years ago in, in 2004, we really weren't you know, praying for the sick and, and, and involved in, in helping people become freed from demonic oppression. And that's something that came after we received, um, a strong, um, you know, kind of touch from the Holy Spirit and, and, and we're really, um, inspired to engage in healing prayer ministry, uh, because we were, we heard so many testimonies of people that engaged in it and we began to pray and, see God heal people, see Jesus heal people left and right. And it was so exciting. And it still is a, is a major feature of what we're about. And we know it's not the final solution because everyone Jesus healed eventually died. And everyone we healed or who are healed through our prayers in Jesus name, you know, they get other sicknesses and, you know, it's, it's a temporary, but powerful sign. So it, I think what's critical is that the disciples and we, are to proclaim the kingdom of heaven's approach, accompanied by concrete acts that show Jesus's victory over sickness, death, and disease, but over legal problems as well, and uh, exclusionary actions, you know, like um, people who are not given um, work or apartments or, you know, or not given access to, say, drug court or different things. You know, we need to be advocating for people. Jesus states um, that new birth, or birth from above is required in order to see and enter the kingdom of God. He tells that to Nicodemus in John 3. And there we see that, um, once again, it's that um, spirit of adoption that, you know, that is essential if we're going to be part of God's family and have uh, the father of Jesus as our, you know, our parent and, and really act as if that's true. So we need to um, be willing to uh, relinquish in a way all of our all of our goods, all of our powers that we have according to the flesh, our our national identity, our racial, ethnic, gender, you know, um, educational, social class, all the things that mark us as uh, special, our experience, our years of experience, our our resumes, uh, you know, our material possessions, whatever it is, we need to be able to let those go underwater in baptism and come up naked and be clothed with power from above, you know, and receive that, the Holy Spirit. And that's what allows us to exercise authority. Jesus um, says in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but the one who does the will of my father. So see that relationship with the father and engaging as a child of God, uh, 
responding to what the Father tells us, which is what Jesus models in John's Gospel everywhere. Um, that's something that we need to learn about, right? And Jesus says, unless you're converted or turn and become like children, you will not enter. So it's that childlike, uh, humble posture of being a child of God that is so important, which is why it's harder for a rich person, Matthew 19, 23, and why tax collectors and sinners will enter before um, you, Jesus says to the Pharisees, Matthew 21, 31. Now, another aspect is that um, Jesus describes his kingdom as not of this world, meaning that it's not to be established or defended through political struggle or warfare. That's so clear, um, especially in John 18, 36. But even just in every one of the Gospels, you know, Jesus, um, when does he become enthroned as king? Well, according to Matthew's Gospel, when he's uh, lifted up and crucified between two thieves. And um, that's when the, the title is put, Jesus, uh, the King of the Jews, right? And so um, it's the cross where Jesus um, really establishes the victory. And, um, and we know that persecution um, is expected against those who proclaim Jesus' kingdom. Because uh, in Acts, we see, um, Acts 14, 23, it says, Through many tribulations, we, like Jesus, must enter the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus shows how his own self-emptying servant love, like Philippians 2, describes that so powerfully. How it results in his persecution, his suffering, and his death by execution. And we see that those are the means by which he, as Messiah Christ as the Savior of the world destroys evil. And he does that um, as Israel and the world's Messiah, you know, the Christ. And so it's critical that we recognize that, that those means continue to be um, in force all the way until he returns. So um, the use of violence, the use of, you know, of the CIA and covert operations and you know, economic embargoes and just all the things that nation states do, those are not part of the way that the kingdom is established. Voting, that's not part of how the kingdom is established. You know, democratic processes, no. You know, filibusters or congressional or Senate votes, no. Jesus drew from the Old Testament prophets, especially Isaiah's servant poems, to interpret his own trajectory of redemptive suffering. And um, remember how on the road to Emmaus, two of his followers were complaining, not knowing him to be Jesus, but seeing him as just a stranger, about how they thought this was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But Jesus tells them, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Luke 24, 26. So, you know, Jesus knew that there was a way of reading the Old Testament that talked about a suffering Messiah, not just one that would be victorious from the start. And it says that beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So that gives us a key for reading the Hebrew Bible, you know, the Old Testament, as uh, bearing witness to Jesus as the suffering Messiah. So we need to learn how to read that way. And here we're given a key to understanding our current suffering too you know, which can be redemptive, and that can give us hope to carry on. So another point that I want to make here is um, the finitude of our world. 
That is another reality that scripture continually states without decommissioning us from faithful stewardship. So we're talking about on earth as it is in heaven, but up to a point, at least on, the, on earth during this present age has its limits. Isaiah 51, 6, lift up your eyes to the sky, then look to the earth beneath, for the sky will vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not wane. So look at, look at that. Um, it's talking about the finitude of the, of the skies, of the earth. Um, Isaiah 34, 4, and all the host of heaven will wear away and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll, and all their hosts will also wither away as a leaf withers from the vine. And Jesus himself in Matthew 24, 35 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. You know, we tend to, we all know that we're gonna die, we're finite, but do we really believe that this um, current world will pass away? I mean, that's scandalous to imagine. And many people who believe that tend to just say, well, so there's no point in, you know, in combating global warming. There's no point in worrying about the extinction of species. If it's all, it's all coming down anyway, let's just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. No, you know, it's like we want to preserve life as long as possible. We want to, to uh, slow the decline of, of, of this world because we have work to do. Um, but we're warned by Jesus himself in the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, he tells us about the signs before his second coming, like in Mark 13 and Luke 21, Matthew 24. He describes an increase in wars, famines, and persecution, and not an increase in order and, and democratic governments and peace-loving you know, um, improvements everywhere. And, you know, I mean, we need to fight for those, but Jesus is preparing us by telling us it's going to get worse before it gets better. Paul writes very clearly about how the powers and the principalities, which currently govern the world, um, will be destroyed before Jesus' kingdom fully comes. So, of course, we need to seek to reform them, but not with illusions that they're going to be, that they're reformable. They, they will, they're part of the finite creation and, and they've been judged because they have, they become spiritual entity, entities when, when they become idols, when people serve them rather than exercising rightful um, authority as children of God over these structures, these non-human powers, then that they become um, spiritually charged and they become part of the demonic realm. And, uh, and so Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and powers, the, the same language that is used here in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. So then Paul writes there in 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 26, then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God and the Father, when he's abolished all rule and all authority and power for he must reign until he's put all of his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be abolished is death. So Jesus decommissions death itself defeating it through his death and resurrection. And eventually this victory will be experienced by all. But I think in the coming age, because 1 Corinthians 15, 50, Paul writes, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So there is 
a next world coming age dimension of the kingdom of God that fits what we've already seen in the imagery of lions lying down with lambs. But the timing of when the kingdom will come is clearly not something that we're privy to. Jesus responds to that disciple, the disciples' questions about when the kingdom will be restored to Israel, like right after his, you know, he right before his ascension in Acts 1, 7 to 8, he says, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you should be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So see, that is the, the program. That's the, the, the Jesus movement. It's about uh, us being sent out as witnesses to the ends of the earth um, until he returns. And Jesus is super clear. And certainly we must do everything we can to preserve our fragile earth and slow down its now accelerating decline. And acknowledging the planet's finitude, though, does not reflect giving up, but it just helps us situate our resistance to global warming and our mitigation of coming disasters, I think, from a more eternal perspective. So there's an urgency to our task of bearing witness to Jesus and of really bringing people to know the Father of Jesus, our Father, as, um, as, the, as the one who provides true and really the only real security and, you know, and the love that we, we all need. Um, we need to bear witness, and that includes uh, caring for the human and the non-human creation. Romans 8, the creation is groaning, waiting for the redemption of the children of God. And uh, Paul writes that, and this redemption must somehow dovetail with the final vision of the kingdom of God, which is... Interestingly, it's described as coming down from heaven to earth in Revelation 21, 1-4. Check this out. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. So it's coming down, but the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. So it's coming down where? Um, maybe not to this existing earth. It's, that's a mystery there, I think. Um, and then it says in verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among people. God will dwell among them, and they shall be God's people. And God himself will be among them, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Wow, do I ever long for that um, new heaven and the new earth. So in conclusion, um, my hope is that you would not find these reflections demobilizing, but rather that you'd be encouraged to uh, really persevere as a disciple of Jesus, uh, who calls us to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, along with concrete manifestations of, of Jesus's victory. And embodying and announcing God's mercy and love are certainly at the heart of the kingdom of God. You know, the love of God, you know. Um, these, these um, you know, Paul talks about how there's faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. And, you know, um, we know from John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that God gave his only begotten Son, 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so love, you know, receiving the love of God and loving one another and being the body of Christ, full of grace and truth. I think that's going to bear great fruit for the kingdom of God. So may we engage in the mission of Jesus more fully, joyfully, um, inspired by the word, empowered by the spirit, so that the gospel will be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. And may God richly bless you and strengthen you for the narrow path ahead.